This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. On the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus on the 19th of June in 2009, Pope Benedict XVI declared a year of the priest, encouraging spiritual perfection in priests. During this jubilee year, the Pope proclaimed St. John Vianney to be the patron saint of all the world's priests. Up to this announcement, he had been the patron saint of parish priests. St. John Vianney has also been known as the Curé of Ars, which from the French translation means parish priest of Ars. Ars was a small village in France. The Pope also commented that this year marked the 150th anniversary of St. John Vianney's death and that during his lifetime he represented a true example of a priest at the service of the flock of Christ. He added, the awareness of the radical social changes over the past decades must stir the best ecclesial energies to look after the formation of priestly candidates. So, to the worldly order of priests, St. John Vianney, or as we mentioned, the Curie of Ars, will be the patron saint of all the priests in the world. But really, who was this St. John Vianney? And what was so special about him that the Holy Father would name him the patron saint of all the priests in the world, especially since the village of ours had a population of only perhaps 200? Why would he be so special from such a small parish where today few people can even tell you where it is? So what was his secret of holiness? How did all of this come about? Well, that's our story for today. John Mary Vianney was the fourth son of Matthew and Mary Vianney and was born on the 8th of May way back in 1786 in a little village a stone's throw northwest of Lyon and France. Children quickly developed their own little personalities and quirks at an early age, and John Mary was no different, except perhaps while children of four are usually attracted to games and playing, his favorite was a noticeable love of prayer, which delighted his mother, who not only encouraged this activity, but frequently taught him new and different prayers. About this time, he was given a rosary, which he loved, but his younger sister also found it attractive and took it, and a battle ensued. Their mother interceded and, and told John Mary to give her the rosary for the love of God, and then she gave him a pretty little wooden statue of the Blessed Mother, which very quickly became his most prized possession. It stood by his bed at night, traveled with him by day, and when he would pause from the chores as he grew older, the little statue would be placed in a tree or an opening or on a stump in the forest, reminding him to pray. So you see, right from the beginning, he was taught about the love of God and the power of prayer, and he would often see his mother kneeling at the altar rail in church. Well, that sort of reminds me of those lyrics from that song in the musical, King and I, You've Got to Be Taught. Well, France was going through rough times as he was growing up. The Bastille had been captured, the government changed, and with it the church was downgraded, and the clergy was forced to minister secretly underground and out of sight. 
Churches and schools were shuttered throughout France, and mass was often held secretly in private homes, and, and priests had to be disguised as tradesmen, barbers, chefs, and so on. Well, John Mary made his first confession when he was eleven, and his family sent him to stay with an aunt in a nearby village so that he could receive catechism lessons from the nuns who, because of the government edicts, were not able to wear their religious habits and ministered to the faithful often in private homes. Well, John Mary Vianney made his first communion when he was 13, and this took place in the parlor of a house with all of the shutters closed so that prying eyes would not interfere. Describing the event in his own words, he said, When we receive communion, we sense something extraordinary, a great joy, a consolation. It is the Lord. What a joy for a Christian to get up from that sacred banquet and go forth with all of heaven in your heart. Fifty years after that day, he would describe to the children in ours how he felt and held up the very same rosary he had carried that beautiful day so many years before. During that same year of his first communion, Napoleon had assumed power, and the Constitution was revised and the church doors were opened once again. That deep-seated longing that had been part of his life for so long was now coming into view. He wanted to be a priest, but the catch was he was only 16 years old with just an elementary school education, and to pursue the priesthood he would have to learn Latin, which to John Mary was about as difficult as climbing Mount Everest. In addition to the enormity of the challenges facing him, his father was opposed to the idea, even though his mother would provide enthusiastic support. And about this time, a Father Bally was named pastor of the parish. Father Bally's mission was to recruit and train young men for the priesthood, and it would be necessary for Father Bally to agree to accept John Mary in the program that at the time appeared full. He had more than enough applicants. Father Bally announced that he couldn't take even one more boy, but then was urged to at least see him. He was told, when you have seen him, I'm sure you will accept him. Well, very grudgingly, Father Bally agreed and met with John Mary, and there was something about the boy, his smile, his interest, his whole demeanor. And following the questioning and the conversation, the priest said, I accept him. John Mary was not a dumb boy, but he had trouble remembering the fundamentals of Latin, the conjugations, the declensions, and so on. He studied hard, but the details just didn't seem to stick with him and even with the special tutoring from some of the other students, it didn't seem to help, and he became worried that just perhaps God hadn't chosen him for the priesthood, and, and maybe it would be better if he just threw in the towel and tried something else. Well, Father Bally encouraged him, and John Mary made a pilgrimage, walking and praying to visit a shrine about 65 miles away, where he prayed and prayed for the, for the grace to complete his studies. Well, it worked. 
he decided he should be a priest. John Mary went back to Father Bally, who would let him tend the garden in exchange for his trying to improve his Latin. Time passed quickly, and he was in the formal seminary finally, and was the oldest in his class. He was twenty-six years old, even older than his professors. But he was in the lower quarter of the class with grades that were not passing, and all the difficulties that he faced would, well, they would be the basis of a full-length novel if we had the time. But suffice it to say that God wanted John Mary Vianney to become a priest and provided tutors and situations that eventually resulted in his ordination with what must be added substantial support from Father Bally, whose help eventually allowed John Mary to become at least familiar with Latin. Now, in his original ordination, he received the faculties to say Mass, but not hear confession. To the third church authorities, he needed more training to properly hear confessions and provide absolution. They weren't convinced he was qualified to hear confessions and to give absolution. Well, the good Father Bally saw to it that his education was enhanced and the faculties to hear confession became a reality. The one concern of the church officials had been his lack of skill in the confessional, or at least that's what they thought. And yet, a hundred and fifty years after his death, his work in the confessional was a major charism that would one day draw tens of thousands to his confessional from all around the world every year. He was thrilled with his first assignment. He would be the assistant to Father Bally, who had such faith in him and worked with him so diligently through the many difficulties he encountered on his long road to the priesthood. As John Mary settled into his responsibilities, which included the ability to hear confessions, the numbers of people seeking him out for confession started to increase, and these same people kept coming back again and again. In December of 1817, Father Bally died, and two months later, John Mary's life would change forever, and his fame would one day spread throughout the entire world. He was called to see the local bishop, who told him that he had been appointed the pastor or curé in a tiny little village known as Ars. And the bishop told him, there isn't much love of God in that parish. You will have to put some love of God in it. And that's when the real story of John Mary Vianney, the new curé of Ars, began. His entrance was not impressive. He had packed a number of books, a bed frame and clothes chest, and a few other items into a cart. He had a gaunt appearance from his many sacrifices and fasts, and he had a broad and high forehead with a healthy crop of auburn hair that would soon turn prematurely white. And in addition, the now 32-year-old priest was shorter than most men in France. He was just five feet, two inches tall. But there was something impressive about him, and that was his eyes. They were bright blue, and as he would look at you, 
it was almost as though he was looking beyond your physical being and deep into your soul. And his gaze made you feel important to him, that he was interested in you as a person, and there was no doubt as to his purpose. As he approached ours for the first time, he stopped some children who were tending their flocks, asking them the direction to ours. They pointed the way, and he said to them, My little friends, you have shown me the road to ours. I will show you the road to heaven. Well, he was formally installed as the new pastor on the following Sunday, and most of the village attended, probably out of curiosity, to see their new pastor, who spoke of his great love for them and his desire to instill in them an even greater love of God. They had no idea of the history that was in the making. Moving into the rectory, there were a few pieces of luxurious furniture that had been donated by a neighboring chateau. He had them returned, and the townspeople were shocked at the sparseness and simplicity of the furnishings now present in the rectory. As he was commencing his work in ours, perhaps it's well to remember that he was a man of prayer, devoted to the service of God with a powerful adversary in the devil. Unfortunately, many in the village were closely allied in their daily lives with his adversary, the devil. Ours, apart from being one of the poorest villages in the country, and where the lifestyle included vices of all kinds with particular emphasis on drinking and drunkenness, which one might expect when a village of around 200 people had four taverns. Sundays there were far from days dedicated to God. Instead, they were days for partying and good times. And right from the beginning, the new curé of ours placed all his trust and faith in God. He would rise early in the morning and even before sunup and hurry to the church where he would prostrate himself before the tabernacle praying, Dear God, I beg you to grant the conversion of my parish. I am willing to suffer anything you want, and as long as I live, yes, I'm willing to suffer for a hundred years the most excruciating pain if only they are converted. He would make daily visits to his parishioners, generally arriving at mealtime. Oh, no, not to eat with them, but to make certain that the family ate together to become closer as a family. He persevered and made many personal sacrifices and acts of penance for their conversion. He would sleep in a corner of the kitchen instead of the bedroom. He would forego the simplest of comforts, such as enjoying a simple bed as a sacrificial offering in exchange for the conversion of all his parishioners from their present lifestyle. And he was succeeding little by little. The village was undergoing a a dramatic transformation. He attacked the problem head on, and in his sermons from the first weeks of his arrival in ours, he railed away against the vices in the village, the cursing, the drinking, the blasphemies, immodest songs, to, to name just a few. But one of his strongest attacks were leveled on the taverns of the village where, in his words, hell retails its dogmas and where souls are bartered. 
He would not pull any punches in making his point perfectly clear. I'm certain he was remembering and following the words of St. Paul when he said, Rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith. That might sum up his goal, to make his flock sound and strong in their faith. His goal was simple. It was the conversion of the entire village. He would not be satisfied until he had reached every single person in the village, and they were not just knowing, but living the Ten Commandments, all of them. And perhaps of those Ten Commandments, the one that possibly had the most devastating effect on him was the taking and using the name of Jesus in vain. He would warn his parishioners that, that if the sin of blasphemy was rampant in your home, it will surely perish. And in addition, for a life close to God, modesty was an absolute must. Old habits are hard to break and new habits are hard to ignore. So Father John Vianney remained constant in his prayer life. His sacrifices and tending to his flock in ours on a personal basis with a great deal of leadership and conversation taking place in the confessional. Sundays became days of the Lord and the taverns, well, what happens when you have no customers? Those once crowded taverns had no more patrons, and so they all closed their doors. Family life grew, and the number of family problems and disagreements became fewer and fewer, and family bonds became stronger and stronger. And what one resident observed, honesty became the principal characteristics. Later, Father John Vianney wrote, Ours is no longer ours. The fabric of the entire community had been changed by the work of one man. It had become a community paying attention to God. The good father taught children catechism and, and respect for God every single day. During the days of the French Revolution, the work of God slowed to snail's pace as priests and religious were forced to do their work under cover and, and disguise, and, and people forgot or ignored what they had once been taught. They became lax in their faith. They, they found excuses, and God took second place to the pleasures of the day. Well, the good priest had a great love for Mary and the rosary and wanted everyone to carry a rosary with them at, at all times. Father John Vianney was not a dreamer. He was a doer. One has only to take in the tremendous changes in this village and then to step back and look at the overall picture, at what had been accomplished by the efforts of just one man, small in stature, but tall in faith and deed. And the change was obvious to anyone who entered the village of ours. On the front of every house were small statues of the Virgin Mary, and in each home there was a colored picture of the Madonna signed by Father Vianney himself. Perhaps one of the secrets of the success of this very humble priest was his belief that the faith had to come from within himself first if he were to achieve that same faith in the heart of his parishioners. 
He believed that we must expect nothing from men that is not already embodied in them and that God has placed it there waiting for it to be opened and released. He had that key. He took his own religious vows and followed them exactly to the letter. Well, from 1827 through 1859, the church was never empty. And Father John Mary Vianney had a favorite saint, too. It was Saint Philomena, a youngster who had been martyred many centuries before. He felt that she was guiding him. In the confessional, he would frequently advise the penitents to pray for the intercession of Saint Philomena or ask for her counsel and help. He gave her the credit for all of his accomplishments or achievements and always shunned any credit for himself. The curie of ours held himself to a strict fast. One meal sufficed him for the entire day. He, he lived his entire life as a sacrifice to God, even in the small everyday activities of daily living. His favorite reading matter were, was the lives of the saints and, and stories about the holy people and the imitation of Christ, which he felt was information for all of us and directions on, on people and how we should honor God and how we should live our lives. Well, there were so many blessings given to the people of ours and, and even to the whole world, blessings from God through John Mary Vianney. But perhaps the greatest was the confessional. His counsel and help began a river of penitence from throughout the area first, and then from throughout France, and then Belgium, other countries in Europe, as well as the United States, all coming to this tiny village to go to confession to the Curie of ours. He often spent 13 to 17 hours a day in the confessional and often told the penitent, like St. Padre Pio of our time, sins that they had forgotten or sins that they had not confessed. One day a baron sent a hardened sinner to him, a man who never went to confession and to Mass only on Christmas and Easter and had not been to confession since his first communion. He was asked, how long since your last communion? Well, the man answered, 40 years, and Father Fiani corrected him, 44 years. Well, the man was instantly converted and practiced his faith until his death. Father Fiani had the gift of understanding a soul as soon as the person entered the confessional. His words alert like darts, straight and to the point. He understood the spiritual difficulties and problems of the individual and was specific in his advice and counsel. As the years would pass, 15, 20, 30,000 people and more a year would come from all over the world and would be attracted to ours each year to go to confession and receive absolution from Father John Mary Vianney. It's been written that miracles are also a sign of divine approval, and miracles, large and small, were attributed to the help of the good Curie of ours. The fame of the Curie of ours spread first throughout France and then throughout the world. 
There was a sportsman, a wonderful story that I always enjoyed about this sportsman, a playboy who had heard about the priest and thought it would be great fun to check him out. So he went to ours for the fun of it, accompanied by his hunting dog. Well, as it happened, he and the dog passed Father Vianney in the square. The good priest stopped, looked at him, and then looked at his dog and said, Sir, it is greatly wished that your soul was as beautiful as your dog. Well, the man was startled and headed for the confessional and then became a religious brother. So powerful was an encounter with the curie of ours that it changed the man completely. On another occasion, a woman from a distant town who had lost her sight and hearing from a brain fever was taken to ours. Father Vianney had never met her, and she and her escort were standing in front of the little church as Father John Mary approached. He stopped and looked at her, and then he took her by the arm and led her into the sacristy where he indicated she should kneel down by the confessional. As he gave her his blessing, her speech and sight were immediately restored. Then she went to confession, and after the absolution, the good curé told her, Your eyes are healed, but you will become deaf for another twelve years. It is God's will that it should be so. As the woman left the sacristy, she could actually fear, feel that her ears were closing and that she could no longer hear anything. This occurred on February the 1st, 1850. On January 18, 1862, her hearing was cured. That was 12 years later, just as the curie of ours had promised. An interesting non-cure also took place in ours. A poor girl from another district had lost her sight and went with her mother to ours. They had little money and even slept in barns and stables en route. And finally, they were in ours before the good father Vianney. He spoke with her of the divine mystery of suffering. He said to her, My child, you can be cured, but if the good God restores your sight, your salvation will be less assured. If, on the contrary, you consent to keep your infirmity, you will go to heaven, and I even guarantee that you will have a high place there. The young blind girl understood. She no longer asked for a cure and left ours in a state of perfect resignation to the, to the will of God. Those who were in the closest contact with the good and holy curie of ours never even detected the slightest of venial sins in his life. A priest friend, Father Abbe Louis, said, When I read the lives of the saints, I failed to discover in them anything exceeding that which I have witnessed in the curie of ours. He was surrounded by a halo of sanctity. After the serving of the village of ours and God for 41 years, and, and with the body worn out from love, dedication, and just plain hard work, Father John Mary Vianney was called home to, to spend all eternity with Almighty God, the Virgin Mary, his beloved Saint Philomena, and all the saints in heaven. Three hundred priests and more than six thousand people crowded the little village of ours for his funeral.
during the pontificate of Pope Benedict XV, the two necessary miracles for canonization were approved, and on the Feast of Pentecost, the little priest from Ars was canonized a saint. This parish priest, small in stature, but a giant of grace, proved that with God anything is possible, and showed us the power, the majesty, and the beauty of the priesthood and of our priests who bring us God. Let us thank God for St. John Vianney and all of our priests for today. Let us show them that we care. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.